and welcome to Drinking with Visionaries, a podcast where we have nightcaps with daydreamers. My name is Trace Brady, and I will be your host. For this next episode, we'll be joined by Tresa Savadogo. Tresa is a strategist, a master connector, and the founder and CEO of Tall Poppy Consulting. And so, without further ado, I present Drinking with Visionaries, episode 11. Tresa, what's on your mind these days? What's on my mind is... How do we make the most of what we've got? Like we're still in the throes of COVID when this is being recorded. And there's so many people that want to write off the last year. Like it never happened. Mm -hmm. And my philosophy going into the whole thing was, this is just a different set of constraints. Like, how are you going to make the most out of this situation? And even with the constraints, there's still a lot that we can do and you have more power in your world than you think you do. So what are you gonna do with the opportunity that you have? Mm. And what's on my mind right now is, I don't have time to waste time anymore, you know? And that whole year that so many people chucked up to, you know, something out completely outside of their control, there's gonna be a lot of things that come into your life that are outside of your control, but there's a lot that's in your control. So what are you doing with the opportunity that you have? So what does that look like for you on a day-to-day basis? A lot, actually. So for me and the big overarching thing, there's two major things that happened for me in the last, I don't know, 14, 18 months. One, I delivered a TEDx talk in fall, November of 2019, and it was released in the spring of 2020. And that experience was really hard on me. I didn't know what I was doing. I was living up to a moment that was greater than anything that I'd ever done before and trying to wrangle in some emotions around that and feel worthy of the opportunity that I was given. It was just a lot. And we can go into deeper detail on that because it's a good story. But basically what happened was, you know, I was a number two person happily in the wings and then suddenly like i've got this huge platform and my tedx talk was in front of three thousand people and live streamed and then when it was released in the spring of 2020 tim ferris picked it up and shared it with his six million social media followers wow yeah (laughs) it was a little overwhelming and beautiful. Like, of course, you know, that's great. And I love that, but it, it threw me into a spotlight that I wasn't prepared for. Mm-hmm. And I had done PR for some high profile clients. And so I was, I knew it, what the opportunity was there, but also I wasn't prepared for me to be that person, you know? And so anyway, so that, so that happened. And then there's some, some things that happened as a result of that. But then also in the January of 2020, I had just come off my TEDx talk and I realized like that preparing for that moment was so hard. And I just kept thinking there's gotta be a better way. And I want to rise up to more opportunities like that, but I need a better support system. I don't, I didn't handle that as well as I wanted to. And how can I get a a support system and a framework that helps me exceed my own capabilities and live up to the the who, the person that I actually want to be. Mm-hmm. 
And what happened as a result of that is I basically called some friends that were over my head and had many more accomplishments than, than me. And I said, hey, listen, I don't know what this could be, but could we all get together and just figure out how we can support each other? Like, what do you think? And so we used my friend's uh, company's conference room on a Saturday, and we all got together sitting around this oval table. And I said, you know, I, I don't know what this could be, but I know I need some help and maybe this is the answer. And what, so I'm just curious, what is your big, hairy, audacious goals? Like, what are, what are you working on? What do you want to do? What's, what's, you know, before you leave this earth, what is the thing that, you know, you're all about? And my friend said to me, the very first person that went said, I want to own a $400 million real estate portfolio. Damn. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I laughed. I was like, <laughs> okay, whatever. And then my friend across from her said, me too. And suddenly I was like, holy shit. What did I, what, what do we have here? What's going on? Really? Seriously? Like, how do you even think about doing that? And so we finished up that meeting and I immediately went to the bookstore and bought books on like LinkedIn and vision driven leadership and how to lead. And I was just like, okay, how's this thing going to come together and how can I support this group? Right. How can I level up myself in order to run with this pack? Right. And so then COVID hit like two months later and we're all on unstable ground. I studied art history and the birth of the Renaissance. And so I'm thinking, okay, we've got the plague going on here. We don't know if everybody's going to die, but like somebody's going to live. So how do we, how do we thrive mm -hmm. in this environment? What is the Renaissance that we're bringing to this table? And so one of the things that happened is, you know, I just kept using that as a framework and saying, and a, a book that I read on vision-driven leadership, I'm like, we're creating history here. Mm -hmm. And we have a decision to make about what the story is going to be when it's over. Mm -hmm. Right? Is this the, so, and I, I read this article about, you know, for kids, they're going to look back on this time and they're going to have unprecedented amount of time with their, their parents mm -hmm. for the first time in their life. They're going to have unprecedented amount of time. So is that going to be a good memory for them? Or is it going to be a sad memory? Mm -hmm. We can make a decision about that. Right. And so how you show up in those moments, what memories you're creating, how you do things with intention, where, where you support other people, how am I making a memory? How am I living into the moment and saying, you know what, I'm going to do the best that I can. And what does that look like? That was very top of mind. And then also leading these eight people and thinking about like, okay, well, wait a minute, how can I support you? Like, what is the thing that you want to do? And how can I like throw, find resources, throw resources in your path? How can I meet people on your behalf? Cause that's a superpower of mine. How can I bring them into the conversation? How can I help amplify and ease the path and also 
we are creating history here. This this is something that is the one of the biggest moments in our lifetime. You know, when you're 90, everybody's going to remember COVID, mm -hmm. right? And we have a choice. Like we're the narrators. We get to choose how that story happens mm -hmm. to a degree, right? And so what that was just something that I thought very strongly about and kept reiterating it and and trying to put in a, a joyful moment like what like I used to be on the board in Seattle we have the Pike Place Market it's a legendary place but impacted was flower vendors they're very famous for you can buy a bouquet big bouquet of flowers but the flower vendors were not under the umbrella of being able to be a merchant that was open and so they came up with a lot of creative ways and one of them was doing home deliveries because the flowers were going to keep blooming right and so i called i called a flower vendor and i sent 14 bouquets to friends all around the city i'm like this is a memory i i'm creating because i want you to have this memory mm -hmm. right and he was very sweet the the guy who owns the comp the the farm he came over to my house and picked up 14 handwritten notes to be able to deliver them and so I just kept kept going on that path, you know, like how how are we creating the specialness hmm. in this time? And so those two things. So one, the Tim Ferriss thing, like blew my mind. I'm like, oh, God, OK, now what? And then also then I got this group. And so I had these huge, huge things on my plate all at the same time while I'm dealing with COVID. So in a way it was nice because I didn't have the capacity to even really be thinking about myself at that time, right? And then recently I've come to the decision that the year before all this went down, my mom died. Then two weeks later, I got the opportunity to give a TEDx talk. They announced, they announced it. And then I spent six months preparing for that. Then I gave my talk, then my best friend died. And so in a way, what I was thinking about is why was it so important that I help everybody else through this period, right, during COVID? And I think it was because I had my really rough year the year before and nobody else could really relate to that. You know, that was such a lonely experience, you know? It's just me and these like, big, huge, life-changing things all in the same year, you know? And it's like, oh my God, like how, how am I going to get through this? And who, where's my support network, right? And, and so I was like, I'm going to be damned if I'm going to let these people have that same experience. Like what is in my power to create, create something more beautiful than that? Mm -hmm. And so I think that top of mind is the intention, mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, lots of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been my experience that people who have suffered the most are the most willing to help other people because they know what it means to suffer and they want to help other people avoid either going through the same things or making the same mistakes that they made in that period. So, yeah, I can relate to that in my own way. You know, like I... I didn't have a really hard year the year before COVID, but like now I'm seeing everybody go through specifically mental health issues and mm -hmm. I am well-versed <laughs> in these issues. So 
I feel somewhat of an obligation to, to help people in that way, whether it's just being there or validating their experience by saying, you know, it's okay if you can't get out of bed until three o'clock in the afternoon. It's okay if you can't show up consistently, even though that's what everybody's talking about. You know, like consistency is, I don't know if maybe it's just the the pocket of Twitter that I'm on, but I see it mentioned like all the time. And for someone like me who has trouble being consistent because of mental health issues, it's not like triggering or anything, but it's frustrating because I am seeing that like thrown in my face all the time. And I know that's not how it's meant to to be interpreted, but it's top of mind for me whenever I see that. So I know there's other people out there who are struggling with the exact same thing. And I want to offer like a, a counter narrative for that. You know, I know consistency is super important and I know that you should strive to to show up regularly, even if it's just, you know, like little bits here and there, but I want to be ultra sensitive to the people who like genuinely just can't. And I think COVID has accelerated that and made it so much more difficult to show up. <clears throat> you know, if, if I got retweeted by Tim Ferriss right now, I would not welcome that. I think I, okay, let me back up a second. I would probably say, fuck it, let's do it. Because you can't turn down an opportunity like that. Yeah. But, but in the same way that you are kind of overwhelmed by all of this new attention, I would definitely be overwhelmed by all of mm. that attention because, you know, every once in a while I'll open Twitter and I'll have 30 plus notifications and I'm like, fuck. Like that's the the first reaction should be great. I have 30 new uh, notifications, but my first reaction is like, okay, now I have to deal with this. So, yeah. But do you, I mean, I think that that's the other part, right? Is how, how, how can you take care of yourself best? So as we're talking about mental health, right? I know that I have peaks and valleys mm -hmm. and I'm going to ride the peak for everything that it's worth. And then I know, like, I, th I think that's part of over time, one of the greatest things about getting older is you start realize, like, hopefully you start realizing your own patterns, mm -hmm. right? Like, I'm going to ride this peak as hard as I possibly can, because there's a valley coming. Mm -hmm. I just know it, right? And so what does self-care look like when the valley comes? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the valley, like, I think that for me, also be mindful of if I exceed and if I exceed what the peak is and not tread carefully, then the valley lasts deeper and longer than it needs to. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we're talking like, can it be days or weeks or hour, you know, like, like what, what, it, what does that ultimate self-care look like? And so I'm very fortunate because one of the people that I met during this time so in my, my talk is why you should talk regularly with strangers, which is like hilarious because I was talking in my talk, I talk about meeting random strangers in person. But then one of the things during this time that I thought about, I'm like, well, you can meet people anywhere. You can meet people on the internet. I met you, of course, that way. But then also how, you know, like it doesn't have to end. Like on, in my talk, I mentioned that I meet on average three people a day. That has not changed, mm -hmm. you know, since we've gone virtual, right? 
And so, but I'm very fortunate because one of the people that I met during this time is this guy, he's in the Netherlands and he's actually working with me on my book, but he deals with, he has anxiety issues and they're at one point they were very severe. So he ended up having to do a gap year in college because of it. And so now he starts monitoring his energy levels very much, but he's also having an influence on me and he'll say, okay, great. You just went through that like big peak and now you rest. Mm -hmm. And now you, and he talks about the quality of rest. Like how are you resting well? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's something that I really struggle with because you know, I get kind of habituated into, Oh, 30 notifications or whatever. And I've tried to shut all that stuff off, but I like checking all that stuff. So, you know, how do you rest well? You know, I think that's, that's an important thing, but also are you pushing your limits to the point where you push yourself into the danger zone? Mm -hmm. And then when the danger zone happens, then you're just like, it all comes crumbling down. Then you rebuild. But the other really cool thing that as a result of justice is his name in the Netherlands that I work with, you know, one of the cool things that we've kind of sorted out is if you tell me what's going on, I don't have to guess. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you're going through those challenge, those mental challenges, it's the, what other people are trying to infer that make it a mess. Right. Whereas if you can be just upfront with what's going on and for us, you know, he's like, listen, I don't have the capacity to go into a full story when this stuff's happening. And I'm like, great, pick an emoji. And when that emoji hits my box, I know you're in down mode. I like that. Like what's the cue, right? Like I'm, I'm here to support you. I want the best for you. But as long as like you go, you drop off the face of the earth for three days, like my mind goes through all kinds of stories Mm -hmm. that aren't good for either one of us. Cause when you come out of this hibernation or whatever, then I just, I'm ready to pounce. Right. (laughs) And so I want to support you, but put me in a position where I can support you in the best way. So Mm -hmm. that's the other thing around mental health. Like how can you bring other people in on your journey Mm -hmm. so that they can support you. Yeah. It's really difficult for me to do. You know, I, I have no problems asking for help, but I do have this hesitation to be what I perceive a burden on other people. Mm-hmm. You, and I know this is completely false because, you know, anytime I'm able to help somebody else, I feel great. So by not letting people in and letting them help me, I'm depriving them of the feeling that I just described. But yeah, it's, it's really hard for me to, you know, quote unquote, build in public because I'm hesitant to like share these things because I know I need help, but I don't want to be a burden on the people uh, in my circle. What kind of help are we talking about? I don't know, just like mental support. And I know that's not even like that difficult to offer for a lot of people. So, you know, I'm, I'm not even really like looking for advice necessarily on this specific thing. I'm just saying like, this is where I'm at and I'm trying to get better about sharing those things. And perhaps, you know, as soon as we get off of this, I'll, I'll start sharing something, but that's, that's the mental block in my mind. I don't want to be a burden. And that's just something that I have to unlearn 
over time because that's not what I would be if I asked for help. If anything, I would be helping other people by asking them to help me. What? So I read this really great book this year. It's called Keeping Your Love Light On, Your mm -hmm. Love On. And anyway, one of the premises in the book is, and it's designed for relationships, but I think it for committed relationships, but I think it also in friendships and that kind of thing too is, so I have a commitment. So the idea is I have a commitment to keep drawing you close mm. and to keep fear out of the relationship, right? Those two things. I'm going to keep you close no matter how hard it is. And I'm going to do everything in my power to remove fear from the relationship. You cannot read the whole book. And those two things are so paramount to me where, well, asking for help might actually mean keeping fear out of their life mm. or at least sending up a flare, you know, like what justice does for me. Right. Mm. Like I just need to know what's yeah. going on. Right. Yeah. And it keeps me from thinking like you're a douchebag when you don't do the thing that I asked you to do or that I'm expecting you to do and keeps that like that's fear. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and like judgment and all that kind of stuff. It's like, that's not the case at all. Mm -hmm. So here I go down the path of having a bad story when that's not even the truth, mm -hmm. but I don't have, I don't have access to the truth. Right. So that I think is the other part that is really interesting about keeping fear out of the relationship. It's not about you. Mm -hmm. Right. Like maybe it is because you ask for help and you need a sounding board or whatever help looks like as you define it in that moment. But for me, I think the important thing that I realized in this process is, dang, man, it's so much nicer if I just knew. Mm. Right? Like, what's going on? You know, I, like, how can I care about you? And you're like taking this massive thing off the table. Mm. Right. Yeah. And and even 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 if you can speak your need to say, I don't need anything, mm -hmm. I just need you to know. Mm. I think that's where I'm at. Yeah. yeah, I just need people to know. So, yeah, I'm going to try to do better about that. I'm curious, though, what are your techniques for those that are listening for eradicating fear and keeping people close, whether it's from the book or not? Mm. Ooh, see, you are good. For me, keeping fear out, I think this goes back to something that I learned in this group that I'm working with um, that, I, that I put together. It's called Bold Ambition. And one of the things about that is we have a practice around celebrating wins. Hmm. And like... I want to support you on the whole journey, not just the, the end of the journey, right? So keeping fear means that I'm going to celebrate the work that you're doing as you're in a work in progress, mm. right? Keeping fear out means communicating regularly and often like, hey, here's what's going on. You know, for me, keeping fear out means doing what you said you were going to do. And if you can't, at least closing the loop mm -hmm. on like, you know, and 
I'm thinking about that. That's such a good question. I think one of the other things that is very top of mind for me lately is I want to be proactive with offering support. Like sometimes just even the burden of asking for it is a huge freaking burden, mm -hmm. right? Like if I can spot your need and bring you a resource before you even ask for it, like it's like if you're sick and somebody brings you chicken soup because they know you're sick, you didn't have to ask for that. And I, I just think that's so beautiful. And, and also, so like when my mom died, you know, people were like, oh, let me know how I can help. I'm like, I'm in the depths of grief right now. The last thing I want to do is be a project manager mm -hmm. for my grief. Mm -hmm. What would be the, what would be a cool thing that you'd like somebody to do in this moment? Just, right. Yeah. I had a friend of mine, she baked me a hot meal and drove 30 miles and dropped it on my doorstep and never even wanted to see me. I was like, great. Cause I had, maybe I didn't shower for three days. Yeah. I don't want to see you. And I definitely don't want to have that, the burden of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Right. And, but I, but to this day, I still remember the people who did stuff like that. Right. How beautiful. I think we were talking earlier, you know, even when my mom died, like she was dying and I was like, I called my friend Rocky and I said, Oh my God, like this moment is here and it's faster than I ever imagined. And, and he said, when do you want to leave? And how long do you want to be gone? And I hung up the phone and 30 minutes later, there was a first class airplane ticket that he figured every, all the details out and emailed it to me. He's just like, I'll be over to pick you up in the morning. Wow. Done. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and like, not only did he spend a hundred thousand travel miles to make that happen, but he like took all the burden of like making those decisions mm -hmm. so that I could just lean into like thinking about what I needed to in the moment. Mm -hmm. What a huge, massive gift, right? Mm -hmm. Huge. And so that's what I think about when I think about fear, like, how do I take that fear? Can I take that on? Can I, can I do something to move the needle? Can I, you know, so I have a friend of mine that she's currently going after her first job in tech. And so I introduced her to a dozen people who have the position, who are in a position to a either hire or make a referral or something. And I tapped my network harder for her than I've <laughs> tapped it with people that I'm like, I barely even reach out to. But it was, it was so beautiful to see how she showed up for that moment, right? Like she was scared and she's switching careers and she's a mom and she's like, I don't know if my husband will support me if I start exceeding his income. It's a very real factor, right? And she kept saying how, how scared she was. And I asked her, I said, send me a list of everything that you're afraid of. She sent me a list that had 20 items on it. Wow. Right. 
and but she was raw like like all those shitty thoughts mm-hmm. and it was so cool to be able to see those because then we could actually address them mm-hmm. but as long as you're stuck in the eddy of your mind in that fear spot you're just you're just like like a, I I like to river raft and so like a river raft you know it hits this rock and then there's a spot in the eddy right behind the 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 rock and you'll just sit there and spin and spin and spin and spin until the river decides to spit you out mm. and then you not, like have no idea what's gonna happen and you know yeah you're in the rapids now like okay but it can stay stuck there for like an hour or more like you and it's variable huge variable you have no idea. And your mind is like that too, right? Mm. And so how do you how do you address those fears? And this is something that I got from this woman called Tara, her name's Tara Moore, and she wrote a book called Playing Big. And one of the things that she taps into is the Hebrew tradition where there's two kinds, they look at like fear in two different ways. There's the fear of with it that's charged with excitement, mm-hmm. like my TEDx talk, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's the fear that's irrational. Mm. And so even when my friend listed out those 20 fears that she currently has, I'm like, okay, well, which one of them is excitement and which one's irrational? Like, let's break them up. Hmm. She's like, oh my God, I never looked at it that way. Like one of them is like, yay, I'm going into a new job. I've got a new, new possibilities. And then the idea that the other half are irrational. Mm-hmm. What would you say one of the most common fears that she listed you know like most common for everyone and what did you say to her about that specific fear imposter syndrome oh my god i am going to war (laughs) on imposter syndrome right now (laughs) because a lot of people misuse the term Imposter syndrome is now shortcut for anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it's also for nerves. And people, because it's trending, people use imposter syndrome and take it on as an identity. Mm-hmm. Like, like an introvert, right? Like an introvert is a very real thing. Imposter syndrome, that's a moment. It's not a lifestyle. Yeah. Unless you choose to make it a lifestyle. It's not an identity. It's a moment. And it's designed for you to work through it. Like either you're going to let it be a roadblock and you, you know, you'll never get past it or you figure out a way to navigate that. Right. And then navigating that here's the challenge. Is this a real thing? Is it excitement? Is it really just excitement like with nerves or is it you know, something that is irrational. Okay, so once you decide, okay, this is irrational, okay, imposter syndrome, that usually means that you don't belong. Mm-hmm. You don't have, you have a sense of like that you don't belong. And I felt that way in grade school. <laughs> felt that way in every club I felt that way in my own family you know like how do you get a sense of belonging if you don't feel like you belong how how are you going to create your belonging I think part of the thing is like unpacking 
everything that you did to get to this point, you know more than you think you do. You've accomplished more than you think. And so just as we, we wrote out that list of fears, how do you kick ass? Mm. Like, let's remember that. Like, what what kick ass thing did you do? Oh, you went to the boot camp and you graduated in the top 10% of your class? Awesome. You asked for help from a friend of yours who actually knows people who can move the needle for you? Awesome. She introduced you to a recruiter who works in that field? Awesome. She gave you the email for somebody who can write your resume and it for you? Awesome. She gave you an introduction to somebody who can help test you on those on the interview process who actually works in tech? Awesome. You know, like like look at all the things that are actually working in your favor. It's crazy how often we forget to do that. Mm-hmm. That's part in my group. We have we have a weekly practice where you report your wins. Mm. Do you guys also celebrate your failures? I want to do that more. <laughs> and I and that's been another topic that's really top of mind for me is like, wow, you know what? If you try more, you fail more, mm-hmm. but you also win more. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you'll only fail like 20, 30% of the time. And what was interesting is I have a really good friend of mine and I was like, wow, you know, I don't know if it's how I think about things or that it's just a numbers game. Like I have so many things going on, but I haven't failed in a long time. You know, in, I, the way I'm defining it, I haven't failed in a long time. And she said, then you're not asking for enough. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I'm like, crap. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Oh. <laughs> and what is really, really cool for me is to realize that like when I actually, so there's a guy who, I always forget his name, Gia. Can't remember what his name is. But anyway, he did this whole experiment on how, on failing, you know, and trying to inoculate himself to the idea of failing. And so he would like do these outrageous experiments and put them on YouTube. And one of the things would be, for example, knock on somebody's door and ask if you can plant a flower in their backyard. Like just crazy stuff, right? And one of the things, and I really love this idea of asking for crazy stuff to get used to even asking for things, right? And to get used to people telling you no, and then how are you going to navigate around that, right? Mm -hmm. And I love that idea so much, but then I started to think about it and I said, you know, it would take a thousand yeses. The problem is that people say yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they say no is that they say yes to me more often than they say no and then I'm like shit now I gotta make time for that <laughs> and I'm like <laughs> so I have to think about like do I really want that if they say yes do I actually want that and that's part of my MO is that I love making things happen and so I'm like oh man I have to be a little bit more careful about like okay if they say yes am I going to really want to go through with this? And, and I think that that's, that's also really a fun way to look at it is like, Hey, listen, like what, what if you were a dream catcher? Mm. Right. And what if people said yes to you most of the time? Mm. 
what if you had the potential to get people to say yes to you and fast pass all the crazy shit that you actually want to do? And then you got to level up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so that that was another thing. It's like, oh, you know, on my BHAG list for years was to have a TEDx talk. I never even applied. They called me one day and said, hey, listen, we want you to do a TEDx talk on the stage that I had been trying to get clients on for years. And I was like, and they called two weeks after my mom died. I'm like, you're joking. Like, <laughs> can't believe this is happening now <laughs> like and i also really kind of had this thing in my BHAG list that like i never really do you ha- i don't know if you have this do you have this where there's things on your list that you're just like I-, I keep fantasizing about but i never really expect it to come true i just like the like kind of mental masturbation of like yeah it's like a comforting thought yeah yeah. Like, oh, that'll never happen, but like, what if suddenly these things, like now they're starting to happen and I'm like, oh, dang, <laughs> <laughs> like, now I actually have to live up to that. Like, oh man. All right. Sure. Let's, let's go. go. <laughs> you know, really cool story about that though, too. Can oh, I tell you? Yeah, please share. Okay. So. As part of this bold ambition group that I have, I have a friend of mine that she's admired this woman forever. And I asked her one day, I said, have you ever had a conversation with her? She said, oh, no, no. And so I I wrote that lady on LinkedIn and I said, hey, listen, um, would you come talk to a small group of women and talk to us about your career trajectory? I'd really, you know, I'd love that. And she said, yes. And so I created a fireside chat series just to invite her. Hmm. and and we had a fabulous time and one of the things that at the very end of our conversation I asked her she's in her you know she she basically worked for a startup grew it to 850 million dollars in annual revenue took it public then left the company now she sits on five different corporate boards and so in this stage in her career I asked her I said what are your big hairy audacious goals and she said you know I don't have any anymore And I was in that same boat, right? Like I'd forgotten that I even had dreams left that I still had unchecked boxes on. And so it started to unpack that she, like the more she talked, the more like stuff started coming up, right? And the next day she sent me an email and she said, wait a minute, like one, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) She didn't know, she just, you know, and then she said, and what are your big hairy audacious goals? And fortunately for me, like part of the work that we've been doing in our group is I actually started making a list. And because I'm a, the leader, I was like, oh, I have to do this. So I got to come up with something. And, you know, it was awesome because it started this process of, you know, I have a document now or where, I, you know, whenever something comes into mind, I just pop, plug it on there. And so what happened was I have also been really interested in transparency and, you know, good, bad, and ugly like, hey, this is the journey and showing my work. So I just, I opened up the document, copied the whole thing. And because of her stature, I actually wanted to edit the list. I'm like, okay, well, what would she think would be really cool? And what would be the most appropriate thing that she'd want to read about? And so I was trying to like sell the sizzle, right? And finally I was like, wait, my whole thing this year is about transparency. 
I just I copied it, I put it in an email, held my breath, and hit send. It's like, whatever. <laughs> and she wrote me back almost immediately. And she, she zeroed in on something that's on my list that is the craziest, craziest thing on my list. And that is, I would like to be an invited guest to Richard Branson's Necker Island for mm -hmm. one of his think tank weeks. And I want to be a value contributor when I'm there. Cause I like really smart people and I like to hang out with them and I like to like play mental games with them and just tackle big problems. And she, she's like, I see this Necker Island entry. I'm like, oh God. She said, I have a friend that goes every year. Would you like an introduction? Uh, yes, please. I was like, yeah, that would be great. Thanks. <laughs> Just like trying to play it cool. <laughs> totally. I like lost right. my shit, danced around the room. Like, I'm like, yeah, that would be lovely. Thank you. Right. <laughs> And so what happened was this guy and I got on a call and it turned out that he was a contact that she had known in college. They sold textbooks door to door. And then, you know, he's, he's evolved. She's evolved. They come together and she, she facilitates the introduction. He's in California. He's driving up to Monterey to go golfing or whatever. And he's like, I got an hour to kill. Let's just hang out and chat while I'm driving. And so basically I'm just listening, you know, like, Hey, how did this all come about? What's it like? What's, you know, what's Richard like? What, you know, anyway, and he's just having a great time telling his stories and I'm having a great time just like taking notes, like a mad fiend. And I can't believe this is actually happening. And when he pulls into the parking lot at this golf club that he's going to, he says, Hey, you know, this was great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. And the last time I was on Necker Island, I talked to Richard and I said, I want to book out the island for a private event. And he's like, how about you help me with that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> I totally do that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just sitting, and he's like, I already got the name of it. I already got, I already know how much it's going to be. Richard's already agreed to come down and say hi to everybody. Like we, we got it. It's totally fine. And, and I'm just sitting here, like, how on earth did this even happen? And so I started to think about it. I was like, okay, well, wait a minute. There's only 40, 40 spots, you know, at the time they've expanded, but you know, let's just say for easy math there's only 40 spots like for a weekend like that who are the 40 people that you would invite right and i have some experience with this because when i i, I put together a dinner with anthony bourdain there was like it was like there was blood in the water <laughs> people wanted a, a seat at that table like more than life itself and so i'm like all right, <laughs> here we go again. What, who would you want to have at this like insane, awesome, awesome experience? And so I'm just making lists, right? Like, I don't know who, who, what kind of conversations do we want to have? 
who's an important um, person to valued in there, maybe somebody you don't really know all that well, somebody, you know, that's not maybe a celebrity, but there's like, they're in the background, right? I don't know, who, who are the people? So I just started building out a list and meeting people intentionally with this idea in mind, right? And then I met this guy who was in Puerto Rico because I'm getting my TEDx talk translated. He works for a translation company and he says, hey, I got a guy for you. He'd be awesome. You know, you want to, you, you know, to invite to this thing, right? And I'm like, what? What? And he, and he pulls up this business card and he puts it up to the camera and he's like, yeah, this guy. It was like, it's just a name on a card. I don't know who that is. And he, it turns out that this guy is the wealthiest man in Mexico by a factor of 10. Whoa. Yeah. And I'm like, one, why do you have his business card? And two, like, do you really know this guy? And he says, yeah, you know, I'm friends with his son. We've gone to like NASCAR races together and, you know, all this kind of stuff. He's like, yeah, you should, he, he's a great guy. You should totally have him there. And so I was like, okay, well, who else do you know? Well, who else would be fun? And so he's making his list. I'm making my list. And then we're like talking about this. And he says, you know, the guy that owns my company is a big fan of Richard Branson. And he's built the equivalent of Necker Island in Puerto Rico. Ooh. He's like, if Puerto Rico doesn't, if, if that doesn't work out, we can always do it here in Puerto Rico. <laughs> what? So now I've got two options, right? And so anyway, the whole point of this is what happens when people actually know your dreams? Mm -hmm. Like you're talking about what happens when people actually know you need help? Mm. What happens if people actually know your dreams? What resources could they have their little spidey senses on to bring to bring out to you, right? And like, also, one of the things that's very top of mind for me right now is don't make any second guesses about who can help. In no way would I ever think that a guy that works at a translation company in Puerto Rico had access to something like this, right? Mm -hmm. No way, right? But I was like, <laughs> part of me wants to just put my list of dreams on a billboard somewhere and just say, all right, people, who can help? What's next? So I don't know. I just, I think it's, I'm playing with that idea so much. Like who's got the fast passes and who's willing, well, who's willing to help. Mm. And you would be surprised mm -hmm. because it's just like how people show up when you're sick, mm -hmm. you know, that you never expected to, right? They just love doing that kind of stuff, right? I'm like, I love helping make other people's dreams come true too. Like, game on, tell me, what do you need? I will, I will, I will like make it happen. I don't even need to know anybody. I'm like, I love that challenge. And so I think other people just delight in that too. Mm -hmm. So why would I, why wouldn't I want to create that more opportunities like that? I think that's the biggest mistake in my life is not speaking my dreams more often. Mm. Yeah, I definitely need to do that more often too. So maybe, just maybe, if you want, you and I could both publish like a blog post or, or something on Twitter of like a list of dreams. And hold on, I want to, I want to, <laughs> you and I have, 
talked separately, like outside of this episode, about yeah. bucket lists. Mm. Right? Just a little bit. We've just touched on the topic. And, uh, and I told you that I didn't have one. And you said, let's get to work on that. And I still haven't because what? I'm, I'm not 100% sold on the value of having a bucket list. But this slight, slight tweak, like on, because to me, a bucket list is things that I want slash need to do before I die or else like my life is a failure or something. Like that's what I think of when I think of a, bu a bucket list. But, sure. but when we're framing it like this of just, here's things that I want to do soon or, or like even grand ambitious hairy goals in the future, I can get behind that because it's not, I have to do these things or else my, I'm gonna die unhappy or whatever, because truth be told, pretty certain that I could die tomorrow and be happy with who I've become and what I've done with my life. But there are tons of things that I would like to do. And I'm not attaching my mentality to whether or not they happen, you know? So, so that's why I fight back against bucket lists in general, but yeah. I'm all for dreaming big and sharing those big dreams and inspiring other people to do the same. So if you want, I am so down to publish, you know, a list of big, hairy, audacious goals that we both have just for the hell of it and seeing okay. you know, if anybody does want to help or can help, you know, great. But if not, who cares? Because that's not the point. The point is to share in these big ass dreams and to do it openly, because like you said, you never know who's going to be able to help. I think that's, you know, you, you said there's so much in that one is I love, like, I love allowing for the fairy dust, you know, the serendipity, the magic, the, like, how am I being a blocker? Hmm. Like, I think about that a lot, you know, that, that thing about you and I have talked extensively about women and ambition and you know like feminism and masculine the masculine presence of that you know i think that being in love with the idea of imposter syndrome is the biggest limiting factor that anybody has mm. to achieving things and i think the second one is like not soliciting help you know like I, but at the end of the day like i think a lot about this like people are terrible mind readers terrible terrible you only have to go, go through christmas to know that the people who love it you the most give you a like there's there could be like presents to the ceiling and 90 percent of them are completely wrong mm -hmm. they're all going back <laughs> like, and i'm like and you love me you have no freaking clue what i want yeah so tell them and i think that that's the other the other thing like it's a little bit like prayer. You can't get what you want until you can actually name it. Mm -hmm. So there's this whole, I'm hoping somebody's going to figure it out, figure out what I want more than what I'm willing to articulate for myself. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then when they give it to you, you're completely wrong. I never wanted that in the first place. What I found is that I wasn't actually willing to name what I wanted. 
I couldn't, I, I couldn't articulate it. So of course they were when they were wrong. Like whose fault is that? Because I didn't actually ask for what I wanted. No. Nope. In any kind of clear, clear way, you know, like an Amazon delivery. Like here's a link. Mm-hmm. This is the thing that's showing up at your door. I was not clear about that. No. Yeah. And I spent, I don't know, half my life not being clear about that. Mm. And it's like, huh. And the narrative is, is that nobody's willing to help me. I'm like, it's so amazing when you start calling bullshit on yourself. (laughs) So so refreshing when you finally like flip that switch and you're like, oh, okay. Like this is possible and it has been all along. This is news to me. Yes, exactly. But actually, you know what? I want to go back one. I just, I was thinking about that. Y'all notice this is the Trace and Trace show, right? <laughs> like, from from here on out, that's, that's what it's called. Where I love it. Everything. <laughs> like Trace and Trace. Trace was my nickname when I was growing up. So I think this is like hilarious. But I want to go back to something that you were, you had mentioned is that it sounds like you're satisfied with your life and all the, and where you're at right now. And I think that's a really rare thing. How did you become satisfied? By being very unsatisfied for a very long time. I, you know, was obsessed with achievement for so long. Yeah. And because of that obsession, I did some really cool things, but I was very, very unhappy. Mm-hmm. And I slowly, slowly had to unlearn that my self-worth is not tied to my achievements. And now that I've really internalized that lesson, I no longer feel the need to achieve. I still want to achieve and I still want to provide as much value to other people as I possibly can. But the narrative in my head is no longer, if you don't do this, you're a piece of shit. So yeah, I worked at it a lot for a really long time. What was the tactical approach? Well, failing often helped a lot because, you know, when you're in the aftermath of a failure and you're forced to confront all of those nasty, ugly feelings of like, I'm a piece of shit or I'm worthless or I'll never amount to anything or my potential will never be lived up to. If you are confronting those feelings often, you have no other choice. So I, for years, uh, was trying and trying and trying like all these different things. And, and I had a couple of mentors that were helping me throughout this entire journey. But despite having that help that I needed, I was still failing a lot because like you said, you can't get what you want unless you can name it. And I couldn't name it. I just had this ambiguous ambition And I got closer and closer and closer to naming it with every failure, but I just never gave up and kept trying and kept trying and kept failing and kept failing. And, and eventually I just came to the realization that, oh, this doesn't matter as much as I think it does. Like it still is important to me and it's still important to help other people as 
much as you can in a way that only you can. But yeah, I just let go of that attachment and kind of went in the complete opposite direction. Like I, you know, there's always an equal but opposite reaction. And sometimes I take it a little bit to, to the extreme because it started off extreme, you know, like I was miserable for years and now I'm so detached from the outcomes that, you know, it, I still, again, want to achieve these things, but I don't care and I don't associate my self-worth with it. So that's the tactical, just failing a lot often, you know, so also. I'm just curious though, this idea around failure, like, and that you failed epically. Can you give me an example of that? Because I think a lot of times what I'm trying to do is give myself the grace that like I tried and I explored it, Mm -hmm. right? It's just an experiment. Mm Right. And so just because I went down that road because I was curious at the time and then I was just like, eh, it's not for me. Is that a failure? No. Now I have data. Right. So like what is can we can we like actually quantify like what a real failure is? Oh, I don't view them as failures anymore. Right. Because I learned something from it. And oftentimes, you know, when I was the most miserable from a failure, I look back on now and realize that it was simultaneously one of the best times of my life. It's funny how what, like what happened. So like one of the things, so I want to get, get, get granular on that because I don't want to, I don't want to have other people like kind of glorify this idea around failure. Right. And like in extremes. Right. So I think what I'm, what I'm processing lately is that it also goes back to some of that young male masculinity kind of narrative, right? And so you've also changed your position on that and softened, right? And so this idea that like, one, you're on polar extremes, right? It's either all in or all not, right? It's all failure. It's all not, you know, it's all like nothing is 100% most of the time, right? And so I think that we get stuck in that loop of extremes that, at the end of the day, when you stress test it, like, what's the what's the real issue here? The real issue is, is that I don't know how to handle my emotions during these things. Mm-hmm. It's not that this did or did not work out. It's that I'm still grappling with trying to trying to manage my emotions mm-hmm. and and manage like my own expectations versus you know like and recovery. For me, it's about recovery. Like, oh, huh, all right, now what? Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that what I would love to do is to even kind of re reimagine or even banish the idea of failure Mm -hmm. because I want to celebrate the fact that people even try Mm -hmm. because I think that the idea, like the baggage of the idea around failure is like so many things never even happen because you never gave them a shot for fear of this thing happening that may or may not ever happen. And even so, even if it does like the worst thing ever say, you know, worst thing ever, maybe that's actually a good thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's so many good things that happen as a result of even trying that, you know, I just, I, I don't know. I changed my, like, I don't know that like, so when I was a kid, my brother was the star of the family and like all the attention went to him, you know, 
and so I was in, I was supposed to play small. And the, the sad fact is, is that I was more talented than him in a lot of ways that, you know, conventionally I, w- you know, would have gotten attention. I was better at school. It was, came easier for me. I was a writer and, and it drove my brother crazy, mm-hmm. right? So much so that in my family, like I was diminished, mm-hmm. like supposed to play really, really small, like, you know, and, and then I would have these successes that weren't even stuff I tried like for instance we would write an assignment for school and then the teacher would submit it to a citywide contest and I won the contest I never even tried for the contest Mm -hmm. right but I won that kind of stuff right and then it was like how dare you Mm -hmm. right and so the failure was that I actually won in the context of my family right Mm -hmm. and it's like I never even tried and so for me even if I was interested in stuff, like I had to be really sneaky about trying. Mm -hmm. And then for a lot of years, I never even tried. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause like I grew up like knowing that believing that there was some baggage around even the fact that I would try. Mm -hmm. And so I think that what I see now is I, you know, like, I want to celebrate even trying like I have this idea and now it's so funny because now that like there was this period when I would like I was just I had this boyfriend of mine who who was very encouraging and he would just say I would say oh you know I saw this poster at school and they're accepting interns for a congressman like how cool is that and he was like I think you should do it what like what he's like yeah i totally think you should do it you're interested like why not and so i would just keep why notting my way into like all these great experiences right and i started breaking that notion that like i was bad or evil or you know like i'd had no business trying and so like when i tried and things started happening it's like then i had to learn how to how to like live into the moment right? Like this thing actually happened. Okay. Now I'm having some, some, some success. And, and before, like I, it was my dirty secret that I would have success. So like, I never actually fully embraced it. Right. And so now that I'm trying to embrace it, how do you, how do you get your arms around that? So when we think about, I was doing some journaling before yesterday, before we, we started taping and about like visionaries and trying new things and like, what can happen and what can happen when you actually try and what can happen if you actually try can be really incredible. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of like failure, like to me, like I already failed plenty cause I never even tried. Mm. Right. Like, you know, I talk a lot about personally, like I am known for, for strategic networking and network, the network that I have. And I just, I think I try more. You know, like, hey, I'm interested in that author. I wonder if I can get him to write me back. I have a question about his book. I wonder if I could get him to write me back. I would really love to know this person. And I've got a question about how they did their, how their trajectory worked. How did you get on the board of NPR? How did you, how did this happen? Can you tell me, you know, so like I proof of concept with that woman in her career and talking to me about like her whole trajectory, right? And she's like, I'm more than happy to tell you that. And so, you know, now the the idea is that how can you invite more opportunities? Mm 
I want to be the person that just like, I'm going to call it in. Hey, listen, I'm interested. You got some good stuff for me? Bring it in. Bring it in. Come on. I, I, I promise you I, I will be a good steward hmm. of whatever comes my way. Yeah. You know? And so this idea about failure, like, what is failure? Like, seriously. And not only that, it's a numbers game, right? And so it's like you try try 10 times, maybe two things don't work out. Well, if you try 10 things instead of one, the problem is a lot of people only do one thing. And then they're like, ah, it didn't work out. And it's just like, well, what if you tried five things or 10 things? If you've got eight things that worked, you got plenty to do. Mm -hmm. Like you're gonna be really, really busy with the other stuff. You won't even, you'll be glad those things didn't work out. But it's a numbers game. Yeah. You got to try more. So really the only failure is not trying at all in the first place. So, yeah, same here, same here. So whenever I use the word failure, I use it very, very lightly because I don't think of it as like failure bad. I just think like, oh, that didn't work the way that I planned it to. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes on a life of its own and works in ways that you didn't plan it to. But either way, I don't view those things as failures, but... I don't have a word at the tip of my tongue to replace it with. So I'm curious what your thoughts would be on if we were to find a word to replace failure, would that be experimenting like you said, or another word? Well, so for for me, failure is a little bit like a, like a roadblock, right? Mm-hmm. Like, eh, all right. It's like a video game, right? Like, boom, here comes a brick wall or here comes an adversary. And and I think about that a lot is, okay, so here's a brick wall. Great. You can pull out a cannon and blow through it. You can get a pogo stick and go over it. You can get a shovel and go under it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there's a lot of ways around that. But, the you know, and, and you know what? maybe that's not really the way you wanted to go anyway. So pivot. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a pivot either. And, you know, so I think that changing the relationship with these things is really important. And sometimes like when a roadblock comes up, it gives me the, it's like, I get this, the flywheel going, right? I get all this momentum going and then here comes a roadblock and it's like, huh, do I still want that? Like I made it this far. Do I still really like, you know, if you think about a video game, right? Do I still really want to go to the next level Mm -hmm. or would I rather just get a new game? And sometimes those roadblocks are just the pause long enough for you to be able to stop and think about that. Mm -hmm. Like, Hey, you know, and like you get this attachment and you're just like, I keep plugging more and more energy into this thing. And like, and and at the end of the day it's like maybe it's time to cut bait Hmm. maybe 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 now is not maybe i don't want to put any more energy into this anymore right or maybe in the process of doing this i learned something about myself and i actually really want to go over there Hmm. so they i think these roadblocks can be a really great thing Cause it slows you down long enough to like, okay, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Is this, do I really want to bust through this wall? 
is it going to be worth is it going to be worth it when i do what do i think you know and and this is not could this be an opportunity to pivot could this be an opportunity to bring in support mm -hmm. could this be an opportunity like what do we like that pause sometimes i think is 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 the thing that like freaks us out but it's actually a really good thing mm -hmm. do you still want that mm -hmm. are you sure are you sure are you sure you sure? You know, I don't know. It just depends, right? And and not only that, I think it gives you, you're like, oh, hmm, that roadblock. Maybe we'll just set up camp here. Hmm. You know, like, hmm, and, you know, yeah, it's a roadblock. Well, maybe I don't like the color. Can I change it? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, being in one spot for a while, you know, like if you, if you get to a spot where you feel comfortable and unsure whether or not you want to break through that wall or not, like there's nothing wrong with just like, like you said, posting up camp and chilling for a bit, you know, mm -hmm. like in a way I did that recently because, you know, the, the book club that I started, I'm not even sure if I've mentioned this to you, but mm -hmm. uh, there's a, a book club that I started called the free for all book club mm -hmm. and the differentiating factor like what makes this different than every other book club we have no reading requirements whatsoever so there's no common book that everybody's reading at the same time and then we get together and discuss it it's like when we say free for all we mean free for all you read whatever you want whenever you want and then we meet up once a week and swap knowledge with all of the, the books that we're reading and it's really cool and within I think three days of launching this book club, we had like 300 members and I posted up because I'm like, okay, this took on a life of its own. I didn't expect it to, to grow to 300 members so quickly. And I'm also not sure I want to break through this wall because if so, I'm going to have to dedicate a lot more time to upkeeping that book club, which isn't currently making any money. So I just posted up and haven't really promoted it much since, but the great part about posting up uh, camp was that I was able to really dive deep on the relationships with the people that were already there. So now I consider some of these people like genuinely close friends. And that probably wouldn't have happened if I had just continued to promote, 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 and, and not given each of those people the time, the love, the energy that they deserve. So uh, yeah, I'm still doing other things, but when it comes to that book club, I'm just camping for now. And that's totally fine. <laughs> I think that one of the things that I love about that though too, is that we have this notion that it has to be bigger to be great, mm -hmm. right? But I think that we all like the bigger it is, the less you get seen, the less you get heard, the less like depth it has. And to me, I think that that's, that's the really cool part about, so it's funny. I have a friend of mine that we, we were, we we're kind of talking about how we handle LinkedIn. Right. And one friend has, I don't know, over 20,000 people on LinkedIn. Another guy has like 60,000. Right. 
I have maybe 2,000. And I was just like, I don't, I don't know why you'd need to go much bigger than that because you don't have relationships with these people at that point, right? And so when I need somebody, like, I, it's such a chore to be able to find them and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, like, what kind of relationships are you able to even build with these people, right? And so for me, I think that's the other thing is, like, how do you go deeper with what you've already got? Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that you brought that up because it sparks a thought for me about, one of the other things that I did in, during COVID is so like I was meeting a ton of people, which was really fun and very enlightening. But one of the things that I started to think about was the relationships that I already have. So, you know, for instance, maybe I have a ton of people that I'm connected with on Facebook that I don't really know. And so I started going through my list and asking people, Hey, I'd like to get to know you better. Can we hop on a call? And that turned out to be amazing. And then also (coughs) one of the things that I thought about is who needs a reboot? Who's still holding ideas about me from like a decade ago? And who needs to know like the modern version of me, Mm -hmm. right? And, and I realized that I was doing that for other people, right? I still am at, oh, remember that guy I used to work with like back in the day? And, and so being able to kind of refresh and reboot those relationships as well as, you know, trying to, trying to meet some of the people that I'm already connected to, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that there's something really special about that, that a lot of people miss the opportunity. Mm-hmm even with your family members, right? Like, you know, my dad still thinks of me as a 16 year old, mm-hmm. right? The one that used to sneak out of the house all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I was, and I, I had this conversation with him and I said, you know what? I need you to meet me. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you about who I am now. And it was really interesting because we, I had an opportunity to like fact check some stories that like I hadn't been holding on to about him and they weren't correct Mm. and what I realized is that I wasn't allowing the ability to even accept that new story Mm -hmm. the story I had told myself was so deeply entrenched that I wasn't even creating space to allow this new reboot to happen Mm -hmm. so i was like wow like who who needs a reboot for me but they don't even like it's it's the 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 notion that they had is so ingrained that it's going to take a while for them to to really accept that Mm -hmm. right so do you have an example of how rebooting with some people that you already knew made a difference I think I love that you brought up the idea around mental health. And I went through what I consider or I call them my dark days. Mm-hmm. And and it lasted I'm a little fuzzy on the details, but it lasted for several years. And you know, I spent a lot of time 
watching TV and just, you know, kind of existing. And during that time, I also knew a lot of people. It was just between like two big, big growth spurts, right? But it lasted so long. And, and people that I met during that time, you know, of course I'm not in my right mind, right? Like I just feel a little bit savage, right? And like, I'm just, I'm not me in the way that I want to show up, but I still kept trying to do stuff, but not really like being the person that I wanted to be. And, you know, I think I spent a lot of time being a people pleaser. So I was trying to like unwind from that. And I was also like unwinding from some relationships that didn't serve me well. And just a lot of stuff I was just that, I call it fallow ground. Like a, you know, when a farmer has land that they don't don't produce on intentionally so that it can be more productive later you know and i i went through a period but i still met a ton of people during that time and and so now that people see me making stuff happen and they're like oh my god like who are you and and it was like well she, she was there all along she just never really gave herself permission to be that person and had to like to think about it like detoxify mm -hmm. some of the relationships that i allowed in I took like boundary setting workshops. I started like kind of identifying what's important to me as opposed to being that people pleaser, you know, and just unpacking a lot of garbage, right? Just clearing it all out. And so there were a lot of people that needed to meet the new me and they still do. But one of the cool things that I love, we have talked about this before too, about showing your work. Mm-hmm. And I was very transparent about, like, I run a robust Facebook page for the, you know, my friends and, and like, and I would journal about what, what was going on. And there was a point where my roommate at the time, she heard on NPR, there was an ad for like a study where for depression. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, you should do this. Here's the number, call them up. They got an appointment. So I got involved in their study. Part of it was that you had to get on some, some mental health drugs. I got on the drugs and then like we went through this process. And then at some point they kicked me out of a depression study because I was too depressed. Wow. I was throwing off their data. <laughs> and so it was like, wait a minute. So like, so this, this rebuilding process and you know, and I think that there's something really important about this, this part of the story though, is that there were people who saw me struggling, who refused, refused to let me sink. Hmm. Like, I don't know how to help you, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep trying to find a way mm -hmm. to get you out of this cycle. And some of, sometimes it was just like somebody who could take me to dinner and like hang out, get me out of the house. Like, oh my God, I got a shower after the first time after a week, you know, or, you know, just like any little thing that somebody could, could, could kind of like shine a little light. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think that that's really important too, is when, you know, to check in on your people, one because we all kind of like hide out, right? And if the, the if you're not not on the surface, like 
what's going on with them, right? Mm-hmm. And they may not ask for help to your point earlier. And, but like <laughs> this one friend of mine who she was like, you're amazing. You're brilliant. You know, like I need you to like shake out of this. And she ran out of things to say to me about that. Mm-hmm. And so one day she said, and at this point, like I had like, I stopped driving my car. I just, I parked, I rode the bus everywhere. I just like, I could not shake myself into some sort of better reality. And so my friend, she said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pay for a class for you. It's a series, like a six week series on, you know, listening to your intuition, you know, and I'm going to come and pick you up every week and drop you off. Cause I think you need this. And it was, it was the beginning of the moment where things started to break through, you know, and, and it was so funny. Cause she was like, originally she said, we're going to do it together. And so she picked me up and I'm like, Oh lady, you're a little bit of wackadoo. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what to expect. <laughs> and she drops me off with this. She, she, we drive up to this lady's house and she's like, okay, cool. I'll be back in an hour to pick you up. I'm like what? She's like, I've already taken the class. This is for you. I'll see you in an hour. And it was like the most beautiful kind of tough love, you know? Mm. And, and she just kept doing stuff like that for me, you know? And to break me out of that cycle, it was really powerful. And it's so fun to see, you know, for her to see the, you know, that the conclusion, right? It's like, oh my God, you know, to go from that to like the Tim Ferriss thing, or to go from that to the TEDx stage, to go from that to like, you know, the pending book deal and all that kind of stuff. Like, like who believes in you? Really, you know, and, and who, who can, who can believe in you long enough until you start to believe in yourself? And sometimes that, that takes a fucking long time, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Oh my God. And so now I think that it's one of those things where, like, how do I honor the people that believed in me? Mm. You know, how do I keep going? And do the same thing for other people. I do it for a lot of people. I can tell. Seriously yeah and that's the funnest part it's like oh my god i cracked that nut let me tell you here's how it works <laughs> uh, it's so fun i just i love it it's like it's the greatest thrill like i struggled for so long it's like stupidly long stupidly long it's ridiculous how long i struggled and i just could not crack the nut and then when I finally did, I was like, oh, my God, I need, like, the biggest megaphone you can possibly imagine. I'm going to tell everybody, you yep. know, so. I have a feeling that will be me here shortly because. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm still struggling with a few things, but I'm 100 percent confident that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and that I can get there 
with a little bit of help from my friends. And in a way, this podcast actually was like a lighthouse for me in the dark, you know, because I absolutely refuse to let my depression spread, you know, because I know some people who have been in similar situations and they just for good reason, can't focus on anything positive, right? And I completely understand and empathize with that impulse, but it's not me. I am not, it's it's something I'm unwilling to do. I will not let it spread because everybody's dealing with their own shit and everybody needs that sliver of hope. And in a small way, this podcast, you know, drinking with visionaries, it says it right in the name. Like I'm meeting with people who are seeing further, who are optimistic, who are actively building a better future for, for themselves and for everyone within their circle. And I'm doing it in a way that's enjoyable for me. You know, like if it were just rapid fire, you know, three conversations a day, you know, like that wouldn't be as entertaining for me and or as hopeful because then I would have to live up to that in a way that I'm not willing to show up yet. You know, I, I would love to do this full time, you know, in the future, but for now I'm trying to maintain my love for what I'm doing. And this is what that looks like. You know, I'm meeting up with really smart people who are themselves optimistic and willing to practice what they preach. And at the same time, I'm just having a beer and talking to them like they're my best friends already, you know? So this has already been a huge step in the right direction as far as me correcting, you know, my own mental health issues. So yeah, I, I think healing doesn't have to look like what you think it has to look like, you know, because a lot of people think, oh, I just have to get on, you know, SSRIs, you know, I'll be a zombie for a while and I'll, you know, come out the other side being able to at least, you know, like exercise and eat well and, you know, like then make progress that way. But I just don't buy into that. You know, like I've tried SSRIs several times and it made me feel like a zombie and I fucking hated it. So I just stopped and have found other ways to cope you know, I still think I need, you know, a more consistent solution, a more long-term solution, because it's hard for me to, you know, exercise and eat well every day when I'm depressed. It's like this, this vicious cycle, you know, because if I don't eat well and exercise, then I'm depressed. And if I am depressed, I can't eat right and exercise, you know, so it's, it's a matter of, mental first you know like in order for change to be possible you first have to believe that it's possible it's not just going to happen like you said again if you want change you have to be able to name it if you want you know the the right presence from your family members you have to be able to tell them what you want so this is me saying this is what i want i want more optimistic people in my life i want people who are willing to put their money where their mouth is and help me do the same thing because you know i am responsible 
ultimately for my life. Nobody else is going to save me. Mm. So I'm choosing to save myself. And yeah, I've talked a lot about mental health in the course of doing this podcast because it's very important to me right now. But also, I think a lot of people that we think of as visionaries are people who are dealing with or have dealt with mental health issues. You know, we talked about fear for like an hour there for good reason. You know, like these people who are doing bold things are just as scared shitless as everybody else, but they choose to override or push through those brick walls. I think that's a really great point is that like sticking with it. Right. And I, I love what you said. You said so much there. I think that, You know, so reading James Clear's books on habit, you know, I think there's just this point where you know the thing that works for you and it has to ultimately become a Mm non-negotiable, right? Like, you know, like going to the bathroom, you're no longer going to like pee yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Because this is like, I no longer do that. Mm -hmm. I no longer eat this kind of thing or I no longer this is no longer a part of my life so I think it's kind of like giving up anything right when you transition into how do you how do you how do you take really good care of yourself Mm. and almost this thing about when you have almost like a little bit of an out-of-body experience or like if there was somebody in my life that I completely loved would I allow them to do that to themselves? Mm-hmm. Right? Would I feel badly because they were having that experience? Mm-hmm. You know, eating all the garbage or drinking till you like, you know, whatever. And I, or any of that kind of stuff, right? Any of the, it's, it's a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. right? That has a negative impact. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's the other thing. It's like, how do I, how do I lay the foundation for all the good stuff to mm-hmm. happen and to invite more of that into my life? Like, for instance, this week is a really big week. So we're recording this on a Monday and then I'm emceeing a conference where I'm going to be in like eight different sessions and then i'm hosting another a fireside chat for myself tomorrow and you know i got just this week is just brutal for me right and so i was like oh what makes me feel better when things are really hard not having to make any more decisions so i stocked my refrigerator i stocked my you know like i i just i removed all the barriers that i possibly could so that I could feel good as I'm going through this process, right? And I think one of the things that you were talking about too, about this visionary part is, it's so, so it's one of those things where I love, there's this guy, his name is Michael Gervais and he is a mental conditioning coach who works with the Seattle Seahawks and a bunch of other people and he has a, has a podcast. And I love his work because he, he talks to living at the edges of your capacity. Mm-hmm. And that's what athletes do all the time, mm-hmm. right? And they do it in front of cameras. 
They do it with stats. Their entire livelihood is on the line. Most of us never, ever, ever have to experience the kind of pressure that those guys are under, right? Or guys, women, everybody who choose that lifestyle. And I think one of the things that has been really interesting is that I'm not, I don't, you know, I'm not big into sports, but I do love those people who choose that as a life are tested all the time. Mm-hmm. And everything that they do Monday through Friday impacts what happens on Saturday. And like, and if you've ever known an elite athlete, so I used to be a personal chef for an Olympian. And then I had another Olympian who was a client. And the dedication that they have to their craft is unbelievable. Mm. Right. Like if it doesn't support this thing that they're doing, they eliminate it. And it's, it's really interesting to see how people at the top of their game actually perform. But also what I learned is how, how can I take that and bring it into my own life? Mm-hmm. And how can I test myself more? And how can I invite more opportunities? So where I may be nervous about something or nervous to try something. So how can I do it more so I can get that comfort level quicker? And that was my impetus behind emceeing this conference is I'm doing eight sessions in three days. Hmm. Great. If by, by the end of those eight sessions, if I still have problems, there's another issue at play, right? But that repetitive, right? How do we do it more so that it's a numbers game, right? And, and also like when you think about strength and conditioning, how can I, how can I, I want to be a better speaker. I want to be a better presenter. I want to be a better storyteller. So I found really great storytellers and then I send them a clip of something that I've done and say, okay, I want your feedback. Mm -hmm. Can you critique this for me? Mm -hmm. What did you see? So I'm taking the guesswork out of it for one. And then two, I'm asking people who actually know how to solve my problem, what I should do. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's this, this, this other piece, critical piece where we live in that gray area of not knowing. It's entirely within my power to actually find the answer. Mm-hmm. Totally within my power to go get the answer. Was that good? How could I be even better? Hmm. How can I make this awesome? And am I talking to somebody who actually knows or am I talking to somebody who just wants to be nice? Mm -hmm. And am I laying fertile ground and letting them know that I am open to the real feedback that they have it at their full capacity? How do I make it very clear that them as an expert I actually want their real opinion, mm-hmm. right? Not the, not the, not the gentle opinion, not the, I want you to still like me when this is over. Like the real thing that will be the game changer for me. Mm-hmm. And how do I, how do I establish that relationship? 
so that I can get better. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think that that's the other thing is I was avoiding that for so long. It was the dumbest thing I ever did. One of them. It was so dumb though. Seriously. Like if somebody could give you great feedback, I would avoid it. Because mm -hmm. I want I didn't want to deal with my emotions. Then I'd never got better. Right? Yeah. I think a lot of people hesitate to give honest feedback for the same reason. Yeah. Because then all of a sudden we're both dealing with your emotions. Like if if you, for instance, sent me something and asked for my feedback, you know, you're inviting me into your mental world, right? Mm -hmm. So any feedback I give you has to be like, that's just the starting line, right? That starts the conversation of, okay, here's how you get better. But how do you, the, the question really is like, how do you deal with the emotions around getting better? And when you're asking someone for really honest feedback, that's what you're asking. And, you know, not everybody's willing or able to give that kind of feedback. So yeah. it's really difficult to find the mentors or the mentor figures who will, you know, buckle up and just get down to business. But when you find those people, uh, it's magic and you have to hold them close because, you know, it's, it's a rare thing. Not, not only because of the, the feedback, but because you have to align. I mean, you don't have to, but it's like ideal if you align in values and profession as well, because you wouldn't ask, you know, a non-writer how to improve your book or, or a non-editor, you know, like it just has to be in the same vein at least, you know, so, so getting all of those things perfectly right is really difficult to do. I think that's yes. And I would say that again, it's a numbers game, right? Oh, yeah. And so that's the more you try, the more experience you get with that. And you're like, Oh, I don't like your perspective on this topic. Mm -hmm. But the cool, like, I think the challenge that a lot of people have is because they don't have the resources and they don't have a, they don't have a broad enough network. Mm -hmm that they actually get feedback from people that they don't like, but they try and like, you know, make it work or they, you know, they don't have other options. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you, you, it's, you know, it's like something that doesn't fit and you're like, you know, it doesn't fit, but it's the only one that you have. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, I'm going to try and make it work. And, and at the end of the day, the like, no, like, how do you go get a new one? Mm -hmm. How do you go get five new ones? You know, I, I look at it like as an, as a employer, right? You currently have an employee, maybe they're not living up to their expectations. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how do you like, how do you interview five more? And then suddenly out of interviewing five more, you find a superstar mm -hmm. who changes the game for everybody. And so I think that that's the other thing is like, how do you start inviting more, better, higher level, higher quality? And I think that that's, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand with, you know, for me, I had a huge pivot, right? So I was um, 
part of that dark time was that I was, prior to that, I was heavily invested in the food industry and, you know, I was co-founder of the International Food Blogger Conference. I had a robust blog. I was well known in the industry, you know, and then I was like, I don't want to write about food anymore. Like, I don't want to talk about it anymore. And okay, but if I don't want to do that, who am I? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, crap, I got to like one, like, what am I interested in now? Major pivot. And then also because I'm now interested in other topics, who are the other people in this genre that I need to know? So I experimented like you with your, your podcast to pull me out of that funk. Like I experimented with a lot of things. Like I started a masterclass series for documentary filmmakers because I love true storytelling. I loved the experience of doing that. I didn't like the guy I was doing it with. And, you know, so I was like, okay, well, I like this, but I don't like that. Okay. Well, you know, how long before he gets his act together? Oh, he's not going to get his act together. Okay. Is that okay with me? No, it's not okay. Move on. So then I move on. Right. And, and, and I think that that's, that's part of the thing is like, how do you, how do you, I think the greatest gift is that identifying who you need for the next step of your journey mm-hmm. and then having the, the know-how to go out and find them mm-hmm. and bring them in. And so sometimes you pay for it, right? Sometimes you pay for an editor. Sometimes you pay for, you know, sometimes it's a favor. Sometimes it's a, you know, but, but you still have to be able to find them. Mm-hmm. And you still have so and that's something that I'm I'm very good at because I've done so many pivots and I'm constantly like, oh, OK, I got to refresh. I got to go find more people, you know, so I'm constantly bringing in more people in the, and keeping my spidey senses on like, who's awesome at what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I basically in my mind, I have a giant scorecard on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and and so but like again you can't ask for help until you know what they're good at Mm -hmm. right or what they can deliver on Mm -hmm. right and so and i think that that's that's the other the other piece is like starting to think about it like a scorecard or you know you don't want to be that calculated but it's true like who's awesome at what right like Mm -hmm. you know i don't want a movie composer editing my documentary right because they're only going to see it through the lens of music Mm-hmm. right but music's very important so when this piece gets done we'll we'll bring in this guy mm-hmm. right and so i think they're all important but how do the puzzle pieces all fit together really well mm-hmm. and how do you go get new people and recruit them on the journey yeah yeah i i completely agree with everything that you just said you know because like my my first impulse was to say like this is really hard but like there's ways that you can make it less hard on yourself you know, like you said, it being a numbers game and just being in the right place and like taking part in conversations that are already happening, you know, like having a background in marketing really helps because you like can transfer that knowledge in reaching uh, the right people, you know, because then you're able to, to figure out who your your avatar, your target is and narrow it down and find where they hang out and just like go there and hang out there. You know, it doesn't have to be super difficult but i think i was just hinting at like the rarity of of getting it perfectly right and it's just a numbers game you know like and i 
and I never like seek out these people. It's like I do things that I already want to do and nine times out of 10, they find me or I find them along the way. Has that been your experience as well with uh, mentorship? Well, I think to, to your point though, too, one of the things, like the reason we met in the first place, because you were on Twitter and said, I need to diversify into my network. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to bring more female voices in on your podcast, right? That's what you said. Yep. And I don't know who I know that actually liked your post so that it showed up on my radar because I don't think I even knew you at the time. But I was like, hmm, drinking with visionaries, that sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> so then I responded to you and said, here's five people you should talk to. Mm -hmm. Right? And because I just, I was like, that's cool. I like that. I want to, I want to add fuel to that fire. And at the end of the day, like I'm the one here. Right. And so, but, but you asked yeah, and you asked publicly. And so that kind of ties in with my premise about showing your work. Mm. What are you looking for? Can you tell people what you're looking for and can, how can you invite them in? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's a perfect example of that. And also one of the things that I'm thinking about is how you mentioned about the marketing piece and knowing where to target. I'm a huge Hamilton fan. And I talked about this in my pot and my TEDx talk about the room where it happens and being in the room where it happens. You do not show up at a basketball court looking for a star soccer player. Mm -hmm. Well said. Right? Like, wrong place mm -hmm. right and the question is is like can you identify the place where the stars hang out mm -hmm. and and that to me is the the trick right and 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 the stars like and i like to ask people who do you like i get into that space right and so for instance let's say i go to a soccer game I don't know. I don't know anything about soccer, but like, let's say I go to a soccer game and I want to find a star player here. Stand on the sidelines and I start asking people like, who, who do you admire here? Who's amazing? Who should I watch? What number? Huh? Who's his competition? Who kicks his ass? Right? Like who's not on this field that is their number one competition? Mm -hmm. hmm. interesting okay and who do they admire right and 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 what i like to do is like put a pin in it and then look at all the people around them mm -hmm. who's their coach who's getting in their head mm -hmm. who's the person that's influencing that awesomeness mm -hmm. and who else do they influence right who else is on the radiates out from there, right? So if I'm looking for, you know, like say for instance, this is a good example. So Michael Gervais came on my radar because I live in Seattle. Seattle Seahawks won the Super Bowl. The quarterback, super famous, and they started talking about his mental health coach and 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 the ment the what makes the Seattle Seahawks very unique. Okay, great. So there's this guy, Michael Gervais, and he's this mental health guy. Well, Michael's worked with all kinds of people. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. And then the quarterback, 
the quarterback has his own mental health coach. So there's the guy that like does the whole team. And then, then he's got his one and only guy. Right. And what does it look like when that one and only guy and him work together? Mm. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay, great. Well, that one and only guy has more than one client. Who else does that guy work with? Oh, he's worked with Serena Williams. Oh, that's very interesting. She's at the top of her game too. I wonder what he tells her. Oh, he wrote a book. Awesome. I want to read that book. And so I just start pulling all these things out. Like, okay, where do the awesome people hang out? What do they know? Who do they know? Who are they influenced by? Like, what is the, what's the story here? And suddenly like, I start finding all of their resources. <laughs> so I went down the rabbit hole so much that I was like, oh, who's his personal chef? Oh, that's his favorite recipe. That's the recipe that got the job. I'm like, I need a new recipe this week. Okay, yeah, I'd give her a job over that too. That's awesome. <laughs> like, I mean, but, but it's so interesting. Like, why do we accept what is when we can easily eat? Now you can easily go find what's awesome. Easy. You got to know how to think. Mm-hmm. But you can easily go find what's awesome. And you can follow them or you can actually like invite them into your orbit, ask a question, you know, like how can you spark a conversation? You know, like maybe it's worth it. Maybe you could start a podcast just so that you can have those kind of conversations that you want to have, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, that's totally what pulled me out of my funk. One of the things, so like I took this class and then I also started this, I called it a cookbook club where we would take a cookbook and I would assign it and like send it out to like 15 people. Hey, everybody, here's the book that we're covering. And then I'd have a potluck. I hosted a potluck once a month. And so I remember the first six months that I hosted that potluck, I was like a zombie. But I had to shower. I had to shop. And I knew once a month I had to clean my house. Mm-hmm. Good enough. Yeah. Right. And then slowly but surely things started to like happen, but I started something Mm -hmm. just to be able to like invite the awesome, Mm -hmm. right? And you know, that went on for five years. We had 67, 67 cookbooks that we did over that time. Wow. Yeah, it was awesome. And then like in the beginning, because I had my blog and I was doing stuff like this, interviewing people, Let's do the first two years we we met with all the authors and we talked to them and you know all that kind of stuff and so yeah it was like it gave me something to do mm-hmm. and like a like a little like i love your lighthouse example like it was a little bit of a beacon mm-hmm. something to look forward to yeah you know but yeah you familiar with the uh, hero's journey love it love it but you know i i think about this often you know because it's one of the best mental models for life in general, if you ask me, but you know, one of the first stages in the hero's journey is receiving a call to action, right? And almost always in these grand myths or even like Star Wars and and Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, to use more modern examples, the hero almost always initially declines the offer, right? But then they accept and they start on this journey. And I bring this up just to say that we can give ourselves that call to action. We don't have to wait until we receive 
a letter in the mail by Owl. We don't have to wait for Gandalf to come along and send us to Mordor. We don't have to wait for Obi-Wan Kenobi to to say you're a Jedi. You know, like these things can be self-generated. You can be the Gandalf and the Frodo are actually Samwise Gamgee's the the real hero of Lord of the Rings. Let's just get that straight. But you can be both both things. I mean, you still have to go out and find the people who can help you along the way. But especially if you're in a dark place, you can give that call to action to yourself. You don't have to wait around and and hope somebody says, "Oh, hey, would you start a podcast?" Because I think it'd be cool and it'd help you climb out of your depression. You just be like, "Oh." Yeah, that sounds cool. I'm going to do that myself and accept the call from myself. You know, you don't have to wait. And I think, you know, you you showed a good example of that. And, and me starting this podcast is a good example of that. But yeah, that's just the way that, that I thought about it whenever we we're, we were talking about it. Because, again, this is a, a great mental model for life. So if anybody listening doesn't know about the monomyth or the hero's journey, with Joseph Campbell, I highly recommend that you look it up because it's life-changing, or at least it was for me. But yeah. I love that you say that about that though too, because, you know, even small experiments, right? Like it doesn't have to be 200 episodes. Like, could you do one, mm-hmm. right? And could you like, could you do or do six? Apparently at the, at the time Tim Ferriss started his podcast, it had to be six episodes before you could go on iTunes. Right. So he's like, okay, I'm going to do six. And now like, who knows what it's going to be like his podcast now is the number one podcast probably in the world. Right. But it started off with six. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the other thing is for some, like if we can release the idea that it has to be grand Mm -hmm. or release the idea that it has to be awesome. Right and allow yourself that to be to be on the learning curve right any one of those stories that you quoted they all started off wobbly in the beginning resistant reluctant you know and like leaning into it and then discovering something about themselves along the way mm-hmm. but you can't open the door to discover something until you actually get on the path and to me, I think that that being able to get on the path is to give yourself the grace to say, I don't have the answers. It doesn't have to be awesome. You know, like I can, I'm just in learning mode. One of, one of my good friends, Megan, she, one of the things that I love about her, she's like, we're just experimenting. You know, like we're, we're seriously just experimenting and and I think that that goes back to the idea of trying, right? How can I have that little tickle in my brain that says, hmm, I'm curious about that and go just a little bit deeper. It doesn't have to be a podcast. It doesn't even, like, even if you do it, it doesn't have to be published, you know? Like, even, you know, think about having a conversation like this. I'd kill to have a recording of my mom and a serious conversation with her before she died. I'd, I'd kill to have a conversation with my friend Rocky, even just to have his voice, right? So like, you don't have to publish, but you have to do. Just get on the path. Yeah, yeah. 
think that's important. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for meeting with me. I hope we can do this again sometime soon, but I've already kept you for two hours, so I'll let you go because I know we can just keep going and keep going and keep going. So we got to cut it off somewhere. And that seems as good a place as any, because it's a hopeful note, you know, getting back on the path if you're off of it or just keep going if you're on it. Anyway, um, I wanted to give you the, the time and space, you know, ne the next 60 seconds to promote whatever it is you want to promote or just, you know, let people know where they can find you and what, what they can do for you. Well, we're going to be publishing these BHAGs, right? So that's that's one good thing. So my TEDx talk is why you should talk regularly with strangers. And to me, I think that is a call to action to actually reach out to people that are in your orbit. I would just love to see us have better conversations. Hmm. And to actually, when, when, the, when you, you get that little spark of curiosity, to take it to the next step and just explore that, pull on that thread a little bit. And so you and I are on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn. I write on both of those platforms pretty regularly these days. And so I really would love to do a commencement speech at a major university. That's my top BHAG at the moment, I'm trying to find an in. And so I would really love an opportunity to kind of pay, pay some of these lessons learned and messages forward. I think it's really been one of the greatest highlights of my life is to come out on the other side and be able to help other people through that hero's journey. You know, like you're on it. Mm -hmm. Like, let's go kick some ass, man. I'm, gonna, I'm here. Like if I can throw something in your pathway, let's do it. You know, I think that's amazing. I like really cool people. So if you know anybody and you want to like come say hi, like Twitter, LinkedIn, I'm game. Let's do it. Cool. All right. Well, thank you again. Let's do this again soon. Yeah, oh, this was fun. Thank you. That's fun. I had a great time. So let's, I mean, we're already talking a lot in the, the DMs. So let's just keep that going. <laughs> we'll do round two. I have a feeling there's oh, yeah. more coming. <laughs> more coming soon. That is for sure. Looking forward to it. Thank you. All right. Well, have a good one and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye, Trace.